Well, welcome to the show, Black History Matters 365, with your host, Joanne Scaife. This month, we are focused on Black history and the importance of it right now. It is important that we understand that Black history is American history. So today, without further ado, I have a guest in the studio that most of you are already familiar with. That is Dr. T, Dr. Terrence Schofield, the people psychologist. I pulled Dr. T in because we're going to focus on three things. We're kicking off Black history. My heart was to actually kick off Black history with a focus on the Black male. But first, what I want to do is let you know this incredible African-American clinical psychologist and so many other things, Dr. T. So, Dr. T, we're going to go ahead and jump right in and focus on Black history and kicking this month off. First, I want them to know who you are in um, your journey as a Black male and how you got there. And then secondly, we're going to focus on the importance of the Black male in Black history and then Mm -hmm. focusing on it today. You know, how important is the Black male today? not only to just history, but to family, you know, to so many other things and their contributions. So go ahead, Dr. G, and tell us who you are. (laughs) Thank you, Sister Joanne, and good morning to you and to the uh, many uh, people out in the audience and in your podcast, um, who I am. Well, that's sort of an evolving question. Um, I'm you know, I've been evolving for quite a while, and it's almost like, you know, those saying that you evolve, but you never come to that completion. Mm-hmm. So I would say Dr. T is an, is an evolving African-American male who is trying to, uh, who is evolving into the person that he's, that he's become. Hopefully, there is a sense of maturity uh, of becoming uh, a person that really cares about I really I always cared about people, particularly I've also cared about the black male because I'm one. And, and my care in the evolving process of who I am is, you know, I've had struggles with that, trying to figure out myself, you know. And I guess and I'm, and I've spent a lifetime of trying to put definitions on that, who I am and, and, and who I'm becoming. And the whole war that all of us, you know, black males experience, and people probably in general, is trying to figure out your place in life. What's your spot? Who who are you in a sense? And so um, just growing through those channels and and trying to determine that. I was um, a person that was born in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, My parents, because of affirmative action, was was, was benefactors of, you know, jobs and and getting into the mainstream of life that provided us uh, from uh, living the projects at an early age. And then it evolved into uh, middle-income families where we moved to uh, a better spot out in Knoxville from the projects we we were raised in Lonsdale. Lonsdale was kind of subsidized housing, you know, in in Knoxville. It's kind of a project to hood, I would say. And then we, my dad got a job at uh, one of the plants in, in Knoxville, Oak Ridge. It was Oak Ridge National Laboratory. So uh, he was an animal carekeeper, very proud man, you know, and he was a community guy. My dad was, he, he was a boxer, semi-professionally, where he fought against Floyd Patterson and 
trained, almost made the Olympic team, which was great for him. Little, little guy from Knoxville. And my mother was, was a brilliant African-American lady, but she never was afforded the opportunity until late of beginning an education. So, but you just imagine that being a person that was so sharp on STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, she could probably just knock that out if she was still living, but she never did have the opportunity to go to school. So after she became older, she, she, she gained that access. And I was, I was a benefactor of looking at that. I seen those guys grow. You know what I mean? I seen how they evolved into the people that they became even past their obstacles. So if I would say who Terry Schofield is, that's that kind of person. I've got my own evolution. I've got my own, you know, things that I'm growing past and growing up under and my struggles and trials. And, and as a benefactor, it benefited me as a, as, a, as a child to see my parents aspire. You know, some people have people in their lives that just bow down to what they face. But I believe that when I look at the Black history, we are resilient people. We, 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 we have seen people in our own families that have had to grow past stuff. And I was a benefactor of that. My mom and my dad were, were great tools of that. I was blessed to have my mom and dad in my family. I know some of us haven't had that kind of child rearing where we had the same parent and the same families. But I did. I benefited from that. My dad was always there. And my mom was always there. So I benefited from that. That's kind of what I would say about who Terry Schofield is. I mean, you know, I have a, a bachelor's degree. I've got two masters and I've got a Ph.D. So, you know, I'm, I'm overeducated. And that's a threat to some, <laughs> you know, an overeducated black man sometimes is a threat in some societies mm-hmm. and even a threat within his own community where it seems like you sold out. You know what I mean? Where you're trying to aspire to become something. And sometimes that crab mentality, they don't want you to grow past them. They want you to stay right there with them. I've, I've had those two wars, WB Du Bois, those two warring struggles, that Americanness and that blackness, two warring struggles in my body. I always feel my Americanness and I always feel my blackness. And so I walk into that. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's a new thing as a Christian, I've found that there is a trichotomy. I find my war in being a Christian and I find my war of being a black man. And I find my war of being American. And those, those that's that trifold battle that we all experience is that. And so to suffice, I guess I'm sort of schizophrenic. I I really love that. I had never heard of that struggle. And I love that you're actually mentioning that because I think a lot of African-American males, that may be it that they're going through. Now, you are presently, all that brings you to presently now, your position at Trevecca um, and also your own ministry so tell us a little bit about that before we get into the Black history. Like you said, um, just you know, I've been a minister for 30 years, 35 years, uh, served as a, you know, I've, I've been through the ranks. I've been a deacon in the Baptist church. I've been, I've been an associate you know, minister in a, in a small church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, I've been uh a minister of family development, a very large church in Louisville, Kentucky, when I went to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary to get a seminary degree. My mother always told me, she said, there's more to getting up hooting and hollering on Sunday morning. You want to go get some training. You want to teach people something. And I'm not saying every pastor that gets up in the morning, I mean, on Sunday morning is hooting and hollering, but my mother didn't make sure that I wasn't one of them because we do have them. And so she said, you need to get some education. You know, you need to know what you're talking about when you get up there. And so, uh, you know, from that, that early years of going to seminary, I was always the only black male 
in most seminaries, you know what I mean? And, and then I went to a seminary when I, in uh, Johnson City, Tennessee, Emmanuel School of Religion, where I've got my Master's of Divinity uh, in Christian Care and Counseling. I've always wanted to sit with people. I always enjoy sitting with people and helping them walk through their lives. That's, that's, that's who I am. You know, I found myself doing that over my years. Getting a Master of Divinity, I've, I've been, I took a Middle East trip over in the, with, with uh, Duke and Candler School of Theology with a lot of seminarians to study the three major religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Uh, I was blessed to have that. and went over to uh, Jerusalem and Greece and everywhere, Egypt, St. Catherine's Egypt, climbed climb the Jebel Musa, which is the mountain of Moses, you know, in St. Catherine's Egypt. Wow, really, that's uh, amazing. Phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal experience. I mean, so I would guess Muslim would say that's their Hajj. So I guess I've kind of been on that, you know, and I, I've actually went over uh, the Middle East and did that. Did a you know academic tour of that religion. Then I you know after that I worked with Promise Keepers for years as the director of diversity and reconciliation. So I went across the country working with all the denominational heads, all the major denominations, Southern Baptist Convention. I mean all of them. I mean golly, Presbyterian Church USA, Presbyterian US, just several denominations, Church of the Nazarene, Methodists. I mean I worked with all the denominational heads, you know, across the country with diversity initiatives. So not only did I work diversity, but I was working with the denominations with diversity. I mean, the people that write your 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 biblical theology. I mean, I've sat with those guys. And you know, so I've been with T.D. Jakes. I've been with Billy Graham. And I've been with several other large people and sitting in a room with those guys. I've been with the Native American people that you hardly hear this Christian. And they're sitting down with their Native American garb and they're talking about Jesus. I mean, and I've sat with Muslims and people and at the table of brotherhood and just discuss our mutual faith. And so I've been in climates where I could hear different points of views and be open enough to hear them and not be so itched and nudged and nipped in my own place where I couldn't see Jesus and other people. That was a broad area. And I thank God for those opportunities to, to put me in that area. So it doesn't make me big. It just, but it also keeps me humble to know that you know, you can, my grandma told me that she said, you can learn something from anybody if you take time out to listen. So I think my life has made me a listening man. It's made me a listening man to other people and seeing the value in everybody. And that's been a hard lesson. So Master of Divinity, I, I graduated from Walden. I've got a general, I got a master's in science and psychology. And then I got my PhD in clinical psychology. And it's been a, kind of my educational route. Awesome. Just, uh, I love that you say that you're a listening man. You've heard so many different voices and so many different cultures and denominations. And that's yeah. awesome. So diversity sounds like that's something you're dealing with all the time. And you're now at Trevecca as a provost dealing with diversity in that area. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. I forgot to mention that. The now yeah. <laughs> role, I'm the associate provost of uh, missions and excellence and reconciliation. And I'm also the uh, associate professor of psychology at Trevecca Nazarene University in, and they call it Cashville, Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> Cashville. Cashville. <laughs> I like that. Where it's hopping, man. It's hopping you know, in Cashville. Now yes, it's it coming Nashwood like Hollywood too. <laughs> Nashwood. <laughs> Hey, look, Nashwood. I'm at the right yeah. that one down, sister. Yes, Nashwood. But then, uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's been a humbling journey. It, it really is. I mean, my role here is to train faculty and the Christian community 
and lead toward diverse initiatives, which is addressing, you know, polity and policy and teaching people belonging and things of that sort. So I'm, I'm, I'm a learner among learners. Mm. And, and this is my niche here. I mean, I really like the educational environment. It's kind of what I've been used to. So uh, it's just a good place, good people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you have your own personal Dr. T. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dr. T, you know, yeah. Business that's... and um, Real um, Relationship Academy. So yeah, you're yeah. doing a lot of great things. And I think as an African-American male, professional male, that's really impressive. And that's why I have you on today. Um, what's really important to me today, too, not only who you are, because I think a lot of African-American males can um, see your path here and be encouraged, but the importance of Black history right now. So let's deal with that question first, and then we'll get to the mail. How important do you feel Black history is right now? Well, Black history is, black history is very important because, I mean, if you don't know your history, you're bound to repeat it. Um, you know, it's very important to know where you're from in order to know where you're going. You got to, everybody's got to have a start. We got to have a place to start, a kickoff. You know, when you're running track, you got to have a place where you're running from in order to know where you're going to. And so it's, it gives you ground. It gives you the importance of black history. It gives you foot, it gives you roots. It gives you, it gives you stability. It gives you a foundation from which to draw from. And, and that's why black history is so important to not only black people, but to American history is because it's foundational in the whole fabric of who America is. I mean, this country was built with Black people involved in it. I mean, you know, so if you're a part of something, that's why it's important, because it's all a part of the mix. I mean, you know, it's just like you got five kids and you take one out of there. I mean, that's an important part of that family, that child. So, you know, it's important for that whole family to be a representation of what we are in our totality, is who we are in our individuality. And that's very important to be have that foundational truth involved in the history of the big picture. So I would say it's important for Black history to be, has its important niche in the important part of the whole of everything we are as Americans. It's very important to have that around. So in essence, you've got a community of individual unique things that are important. And that Black history is so important. But now we haven't had access to that. Because, I mean, you look over during the colonial history in the colonial areas, slave was denied the chance to be able to understand and bring that history over because they were so separated and segregated and misplaced that their history wasn't really, the only way they recited it was in songs, they beat drum beats or they send code messages. And that was so important. But uh, because of the transition from, from Africa, to that great diaspora, African diaspora over here, we've lost some of those histories, which we've been lost in translation and transportation. We've lost all of that stuff in a sense. And that's why I really like Black History 365. I really think there's an opportunity at the educational, at the beginning level. And it's and it's so profoundly that it's, it's so simplistically profound, Black History 365 is. Because I tell you, when I picked up that book, Black History 365, it was like I had already transitioned myself from where I was into a black museum. I was in a museum. I was in Carnegie Hall somewhere because I started reading about the history of Africans and and I started seeing my space and my place. Let me say this. When I went on a trip to the Middle East, 
I ran into an Egyptian eunuch, kind of like Candace, when she ran, I think it was in the Bible, when uh, this Egypt, Ethiopian eunuch, there was Ethiopian eunuch that this lady ran into. I think it was, if it wasn't, I'm trying to think of her name. I think it was Candace the Queen. I think it was her name. And she ran into an Ethiopian eunuch. And I ran into one of these guys. He was a Greek Orthodox Jew too, but he was black. It was at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And as I went over there, one of my seminary professors told me to take a dictionary. He said, because that's a gift to them. And he said, you'll know more about it when you go. So I held on that dictionary. I was holding on to it and those going visiting all of those ruins and all those things. And, and I kept my little dictionary because I knew we were going to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And they said I might run into some Greek Orthodox Jews and some Ethiopian eunuchs over there. And I did. And this one guy, he asked me a question. Now, here's the question. Here's why, here's why Black history is so important. Anybody's history is so important. He asked me this question, Sister Joe. He asked me this question. And I bet you said, what is the question? Yeah. He asked me, he said, where are you from? Hmm. And I couldn't answer it. I didn't have an answer for him. But no idea. I had an elementary answer. I had an American answer. And I said, I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. He said, no, 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 no. Where is your ancestral roots? And I couldn't, I couldn't dictate that to him. Hmm. And he said, you need to find out. And then he said, you look like you're from Sudan. Tall, brown skin, your features, your Sudanese. He said, I think you're from Sudan. And so check this out. As I was with students from Duke and Candler School of Theology, the seminary students, and we traveled and studied the three religions. I felt what international racism or discrimination was when I was going and moving and navigating through the airports. All my white friends didn't get patted down at the airports, but I did because they thought I was trying to escape from Sudan or somewhere, you know what I mean? Because I looked like people and like that, put on some American guard. So they was patting me down. And I thought, man, what is this? Why are you not checking them? They didn't look like people over there. So isn't it funny how people look at how people look and it determines how they're treated? I got to feel that from an international perspective in the travels that I did over in the Middle East, they're not battling with as much as skin color as they're dealing with resources rich natural resources. And, and some of the battle with Christian people over there is about the land, I think it's Megiddo. Who, who's going to get that land when Jesus comes back? Who's going to be positioned when he's supposed to come back in that land? Some people think it's Megiddo or who's, you know, they, they battling with that stuff and it's in water. Who's going to get access to that? So I didn't feel over there. I didn't feel my blackness. I felt my Americanness over there. I never felt my black. I felt my Americans. And so it's a different form of belonging over there that they deal with. But that's why it's important, because you need to know where you're from. Mm -hmm. And as black males, we've been stripped a lot of times, you know, with the colonial area of slave owners and with reconstructions and the violence. And it set up all these, these split ups and these breakups. And it permeated, I think, within the African-American female. It made her, you know, uh, feel like she was... Uh, she was penalized if she had the black male in the family. So the black male, because he couldn't, you know, during the times of, uh, of civil rights and equal rights and all that, you know, we had welfare system came in. And so it kind of weaponized, <laughs> I think, the family from, uh, from the African-American male from staying in the home. Because if he was there, she wouldn't get the benefits she needed. So, in order, so, we, so, so we brought on this whole idea of being isolated and separated. 
finding acceptable norms within society to justify something that was wrong. Mm. You, know, you shouldn't penalize the African-American male or that family, you know, and uh, because once that male is gone from that home, it does something to that family. It does something to the African-American male. It even makes me feel like as African-American male that uh, the pressures of, of trying to live up to expectations and, and not having the, the right resources to be able to do what you do and equally as an African-American male, because we know back then that a lot of us weren't having access. We didn't have access to the good jobs, you know, and things of that sort. But I want to go back to say this, that during slavery, just imagine the whole place from slavery to reconstruction. We educated ourselves. We're resilient people. We educated ourselves in a phenomenal way because slaves were supposed to not be educated, but from slavery to probably the man to early re- early years of reconstruction in the colonial area. I mean, them people got educated, man. You got WB, I mean, Frederick Douglass. I mean, those cats were smart. Yeah. So something magnificent happened between that time of being educated yourself. Those guys were prolific. Yeah. And um, it's funny because you're going into the other questions that I have about the African-American male contributions. You're yeah. right. Frederick Douglass and all these different men that are in, in, in many cases, when we're talking about black history or we celebrate it, in many cases, them they're left out. They're yeah. they're mentioned. But the true depthness of what they did has been left out. So and it is not highlighted enough. And that's where I'm going is what how important is the contributions of those particular people? And even now, like yourself, how important is the contributions of the African-American male? Mm, this, you know, this is kind of easy answer. It's important for the contributions because when you feel like you're contributing you feel like you're somebody. You feel like you're human. I mean, mm-hmm. we've been treated as not human lately with a lot of stuff over the past years and stuff. And, you know, to feel like you're a contributor, I mean, it means a lot to the, to, to a man. And, you know, I think, you know, I remember the Brady Bunch family and stuff. And I used to look at TV and, you know, look at Marsha and Bobby and all those cats, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then you look at your home and your home doesn't look like that. You know, uh, you, you know, media has portrayed that. Uh, you know, the image of uh, what a successful family looks like, you know, middle income families or house looks good. And just imagine that. Um, so, so it's important to know that you're a contributor because you feel like you have you have belong. You know, you've added something to something. And I think on the contrary, to make feel like you don't contribute. I mean, it, it does the latter. It makes you feel like most black men I know suffer from uh low self-esteem a lot a lot of guys I ran into a lot of times because they're not understood and a lot of times they're not understood they're not they feel like there's a lot of pressure been made on them so yeah it's very important to know that you you're a contributor but you also you can't find your identity in the external things either you know that I think that's what a lot of African-American males have done wrong and uh, you know we've been duped we've been seeing that we need to live up to certain expectations and stuff like that that we really haven't been given that fair shake to be able to do that like other people had. And so we don't sit around and belly and we make ourselves victim of it, but you got to understand that it is, it was a reality. And a lot of times today is still a reality that you've been given access, but you're still treated, you know, that kind of way, because the hardest thing for people to get rid of is what they think and what they've been taught and trained. 
And as well as African-American males, we've been taught and trained a lot of times in some of our families that, you know, we're not really respected. I mean, I, I just take it from the point where I am. If I look back at, at going back in Knoxville, sometimes when I go back and I see from whence I came from and I, I appreciate that, it's not that I look down on that. I know where I came from. But a lot of times, you know, it's it's like, I, you know, you get shunned, you, you know, people tend to get jealous of you or. And I'm saying, you don't, you, you see my daylights, you don't see my midnights. I got some struggles mm-hmm. over here that you don't know nothing about. And, uh, and, and I'm good with who I am because my mom taught me that. My dad taught me that. And I still struggle because of life. You know, you can have a real strong foundation in your family when you grow up, but you deal in this world, this world can deplete you and strip you of some of that stuff and make you second guess what you already know to be true. Mm-hmm. And so it's always an opportunity and it's also also obstacles that you live in in life between those two places and spaces. But I thank God for my faith. My faith has made me stronger to understand uh, that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but it's the God that delivers them out of them all. My faith has helped me. My faith in Christ, my faith and my support in my family has, has helped me in those areas of understanding where my contributions are not my identity. My contributions are byproducts of just Mm -hmm. living that life. I like that, what you're saying. My contributions are not my identity. They're just a byproduct of living out life. So, I mean, that's what's really important when we say the Black male or even anybody's contributions, they're a byproduct. But that byproduct is, for the African-American male, is his contribution making him feel like he belongs. And it's important to him. But what's really important when it comes to that, we notice all the Black males from the past that made contributions and that we talk about during Black history, it is their faith that kept them strong through that. That's from Frederick Douglass to Martin Luther King. It is yeah. all it all boils back down to their faith. Like you said, they begin to have strong faith because of the struggle and because of the rejection of being the black male and their place in the family. But I also like to give is it kudos? Is that a good word? To, <laughs> to, to black females. Yes. Too. I, I have to because mm-hmm. my mom and my grandmother and my wife women like yourself, those women are supportive. You know, I've heard this on a film the other night. I think it was a, a King Richard. It's about Serena and Venus, the dad. He said, there ain't nothing stronger than an African, than a, than an African-American woman that, that, that knows herself and knows her strength or that is intelligent. In a way, that, that's not really what he, he said that, but it was just my interpretation of it. And, and, and those women have been key to, I know, my success, you know, and that's why I always say that not behind every black man is a woman, black woman. Black women have been a lot of times they've been leading. And, and that's why it's so important. I want to speak to the women in the audience right now. That's why it's important for you support that black male. I know you're going through struggles, but the black male is only going to be a part of who he is without you. God knew what he was doing when he put a strong black woman in it because he knew that you guys are resilient too. So you don't have to compete against him. You ain't got to fight against him. 
you can forget all the other stuff that your mom told you. If your mom told you to fight against him, you might drop that too. Because that didn't work. How did that work for them? It's time for us to love each other. It's time for us to support each other. That's all I got to say on that. I love that. I mean, I mean, you just clarified that old saying behind every good black man or strong black man, there's a strong black woman. But really, again, like you said, it's not that she's behind, it's that mm -hmm. she's leading at times and and standing right beside that black male and pushing him. And that's what you're mm -hmm. saying and that we need to do and continually do. I love that. Uh, last question. And we're at the top of the hour today you know, when it comes to the black male, what would you have to say to the black male of today? And you tapped into it a little bit um, with that tri-identity you were talking about, being yeah. American, being a black male, and then being Christian. Not every black mm -hmm. male is a Christian, but they've been influenced by a Christian mother or father. So talk you know, just a few seconds about that. Well, I would say spend time getting to know yourself. Stop running. You're not as bad as you think. Read and know your history. Good and bad, it's made you who you are. I know you feel like you don't have a voice. I know you feel like nobody understands you at times. Go find you a group of guys that really can pour into your life. Uh, I started a group called Menergy, and it's about men putting energy back into uh, men's lives. And that's so important for men to do, to be around other men, to build them up. You, you can't do it. Look, this is not a solo trip. If you're a black male, you need to get in a good project or any male. I'll be, be honest with you, but specifically, I'm just talking to black males today. You need to get in a good support group because the battles that you're fighting, you stop expecting it to come from your wife or your significant other. You got to get with another man because man understand men. And you got to hang out. You got to you got to keep it real. You got to start talking about stuff. Quit trying to hold all of it in. You got to find somebody you can lay your stuff out with and you ain't got to worry about it come back hitting you. You can't share it so much sometimes in your family because they're too close to you. Sometimes they'll wound you with what you with the precious things you give them, and they don't mean that, but it's just the nature of the heart is to always be one up sometimes. And so you got to find somebody that is not in competition with you to share your stuff with, share your dirty stuff or your clean stuff or whatever, just so you can keep it real. Because that's so important right now, Sister Joe, is that we don't have, I think we got past we lost that somewhere. We, we lost that somewhere. We're, we're in a, we're in a, we, I think sometimes I felt that I've been in a, a land of abyss where I don't have anybody, but I've learned to keep me some good guys in my group that I can chop it up with, that I can talk to and be real. And at Manager Group I'm with, we talk about everything and it's really, really good uh, to do. So um, I would tell them just to do more, you know, digging into who you are. Do that soul searching. I, a good book I had, Dr. Phil had a book called Self Matters. That was a great book for me. And when I read Self Matters, it helped me go down into me. Dr. Cornell West said it takes courage to go in on the inside to look at yourself. So you got to be prepared to be able to see some ugly stuff in yourself, too. 
and uh, kind of deal with that because we all are who we are based on what's been put down on us a lot of times, what we experience in life, and it's normal. Awesome. I love those words of encouragement. This has been great. Um, This is kicking off our Black History Month, where we're going to have a stern focus on the African-American male, but I think it's going to talk to all males as well. It's been great talking with you, Dr. T, and we're going to end this at the hour and look forward to hearing you on Real Relationships on BHM 365 um, show every Thursday. Um, Dr. T will give us tips on relationships and how we relate to ourselves and others. So make sure you tune into that show as well. But Black History Month for BHM 365 is now kicked off with Dr. T. Thank you for joining us this hour, and we will see you next time on BHM 365.